Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of Western Iowa, comes the voice of the church. God himself blew on history so that there would be a light. A timely message, convicting words, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. Why don't you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're gonna answer for them. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth not shall be damned. So what do you really believe? People that believe in Jesus Christ, that he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day, that he's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And he wants them to be filled with people that have some passion, that understand what it means to be a Christian, that aren't slobs drooling with all of their candy and their chocolate and their soda and their entertainment, wanting to hear a preacher to tell them that they're just fine the way that they are and they don't need to change and they don't need to worry about repentance. They don't need to get the sin out of their life. Those are not good preachers and those are not legitimate churches and their buildings become an aggravation and a mocking point. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. Well, we're continuing with a series by the title of Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus, which is a Latin term, a doctrine of the church that has been identified since the Apostle Paul in every century of church history. And it is from the Latin Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus, meaning outside the church there is no salvation. We've been discussing what it means when the scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith. And we've really been reintroducing what should be common knowledge, but just isn't, especially not in this culture. Being in church faithfully every seven days is essential to being successful as a Christian. It is literally impossible for you to have the proper nutrition, the proper grace flowing in your spiritual life to keep you alive. The analogy that we can make, the metaphor that is used, is that when we say that the heart of a man beats, and I think I have this correct, I calculated it one time on the average pulse rate of a reasonably healthy man, in a 24-hour period, your heart will beat about 100,000 times. And in order for you to stay alive, your heart must keep beating. And it's not just the beating 
in and of itself that is keeping you alive. It is the function of the beating, the purpose of it, which is to circulate the blood in your body. If your blood stops flowing throughout the arteries and the veins in your body, you will die. Everybody kind of knows this. Well, the Apostle Paul deliberately tells us that we are the body of Christ. And when we go back into the laws of nature and nature's God, we see the pattern that God has created appetites. We've discussed this. And God is the Lord of your clock, whether you like it or not. He's in total control of your schedule. And it begins at the moment that you're created in your mother's womb. You must be fed in particular intervals. If you go too many days without water, what happens? You die. If you go too long without food, what happens to your physical body? It dies. So you have to honor the timetables of God that have been enshrined in nature. We get into Hebrews chapter 4 and we notice that the, that the writer of Hebrews, now I believe it was the Apostle Paul, there's some contention about that, but um, I've read some wonderful scholarly work that establishes very, very strongly that the Apostle Paul was in fact the author of the book of Hebrews. And in fact, in church history, he was assumed to be the writer of the book of Hebrews for the first seven centuries. And so it is essential as you must eat every day or you start feeling weird. Let me tell you, about a week ago, I did a juice fast. I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to do a Daniel fast. And for three days, all I had was juice. And I have to tell you, on the third day, I was feeling pretty horrible. And I've never quite felt this way. I actually said to my wife, I didn't tell her at the time, I didn't want to scare her. But the morning after my worst night of the fast, I said to my wife, I actually laid in the bed last night and I had, I had to fight thoughts of I might die. I, I may not wake up in the morning because I was so weak I could hardly get out of the bed. I felt absolutely terrible. I started having those terrible migraine headaches when your body's flushing out all the toxins and it was absolutely horrible. It was the worst fast of my life. I fasted at times uh, having nothing but, but juice and water for up to 14 days. But I guess after you hit 40, uh, <laughs> fasting isn't what it used to be, folks. I, I thought I was going to die after three days. Tomorrow I'm eating breakfast. That's what I told myself I'm going to eat. You can't ignore the laws of God. You can't escape them. There's nothing you can do about it. And you can have legislatures put together in, in, in two different political parties, and you can do everything in your power to claim that God has no authority or jurisdiction over everything. I got to tell you something. That's a joke. He's about to show America that he still has jurisdiction. And, and you better pray about how he does it. Because if he does it the way that it looks like, it's not going to be pretty. God's about to show Americans that he's still in charge, and it's called a whip. And we're about to suffer immeasurably unless the church wakes up and does its job. If we follow the pattern of what the church did in Germany in the 1940s, and the church won't listen to the very few preachers that are telling them to wake up, all you need to do is go ask Bonhoeffer what happens to Christianity in a civilization that won't listen. And he can't answer you because they hung him from the gallows. And, um, you know, we're, we're facing some reality. Very few people are paying attention, but it's very serious. It's a serious hour. And... The root of our malnutrition, the root of our sickliness, our anemic state as a church, our ineffective witness, our loss of our saltiness, our inability to fight back against the evil that seems to be growing daily in the culture is all connected essentially to an attitude concerning an appetite that God made. Now, I told you there's a pattern that God has put this pattern in here. The writer of Hebrews, the apostle Paul, is going to reiterate it in just a minute. 
God also set a pattern for your spiritual nourishment. And it says on the seventh day, he rested. And therefore the writer of Hebrews says today, we must follow and obey that pattern. Now, I'm happy to know that Jesus was an advocate about vacationing. He believed in it and it's very, very essential to health that on occasion, it's a biblical principle that you set aside the appetite that God gave you and you go into a holy fast and you say, God, I want you more than I want food. And what that means is not just that you suffer by drinking juice like I did, but what I essentially did is at the time of day, morning, noon, and evening, when I would have been sitting and eating with my family, taking in physical nourishment, I went instead in my state of denying that appetite temporarily without killing myself. My family sat at the table in the dining room, I stayed in my office, and I prayed. And while they were receiving nourishment from physical food, I went to the Lord and I said, Father, I'm getting my nourishment from you, I need you. And Jesus demonstrated that, didn't he, with fasting. So there is a principle where you can, with the agreement of the Holy Spirit, when it seems good to the Lord and to you, you can temporarily set aside these appetites for the purpose of prayer and fasting. The apostle even deals with the sexual appetite and says that if you go too long without sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, temptation increases and you are likely to fall into sin by denying a good appetite that God gave you going too long of a period without satisfying that natural nature and nature's God appetite programmed into your physical body. If you go too long, you'll fall into sin and it is unjust for a husband or a wife to defraud the partner of that need of intimacy if they do not both agree to it for one exception, prayer and fasting. Can you say amen? So there's something about setting aside the appetite of food, set aside the appetite for sexual intimacy. Those things can be temporarily, but only in agreement and unity, set aside for the purpose of going to God and becoming more intimate with him and saying, in essence, I'm not sustaining my life only by bread. Man does not live by bread alone, does he? But by the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. And in this situation where a husband and a wife say, we're not gonna have any intimacy, I'm gonna go to God in prayer. Is that okay with you? Is this all right? Is this a good time for that? And you both say, yeah, that's good. We can do this together. I agree to this. Then the husband or the wife goes off and fasts for a limited time. And she's essentially saying to the Lord, Lord, uh, I have intimacy with this man or, or this woman that you gave me but I am setting them aside because I want you more. You're more important than even my marriage. That's what you're saying. You're demonstrating it in an act of prayer and fasting. And it's a beautiful thing that can be done. Similarly, the Lord Jesus said to his own disciples, come with me, come apart and let's rest a while. And if you study what that meant, Jesus said, we're not gonna teach, we're not gonna preach for a season. We're gonna go have a vacation. And so if Jesus, the son of God, demonstrated the essential need for health and fitness. Mentally and emotionally, you need times of refreshing. What I'm saying is occasionally, once or twice a year, it would be very, very good for you to be gone on vacation and miss church. We don't begrudge you of that. I want you to go. I want you to be refreshed. I want you to be invigorated. I want you to get to rest. I believe in that and it's important. Jesus believed in it. And so that's a good thing. Those are examples of setting aside a pattern. The pattern I'm speaking of now when I discuss vacationing is the pattern of the seventh day rest when we come to the church faithfully every Lord's Day, 
every week because we have a spiritual appetite and we do not live by bread alone, but by the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. And so getting back to my metaphor that you are the body of Christ, let's get back to the heartbeat and the circulation of blood. The Bible tells us that life is in the blood. If I were to cut you and you were to bleed out, what happens? You die. Blood circulating is essential for you to stay alive. The metaphor that the scripture is giving us of the the function of grace and how necessary it is for you to be in the corporate gathering in the holy church of God every day of rest in the house with the people of God is that grace is basically the blood of the body of Christ flowing in the body. Your human heart beats 100,000 times every 24 hours, circulating the essential blood in your system to keep you alive. Listen carefully. The heartbeat of God beats once every seven days. And his blood that keeps you alive spiritually is metaphorically the grace of God flowing sideways in the body of Christ in the house of God. So if you ask me, um, you know, how commonly, Pastor Kerry, should you find me missing from church? And I would say to you that if you're missing from church three out of four weeks of the month, you are in gross sin, you need to repent, and you are anemic spiritually. It is not possible, ladies and gentlemen, for you to be spiritually healthy if you do not understand the heartbeat of God. Let me ask you a different way. How healthy could you be when you have arrhythmia and your heart just quits beating for a little while? You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Kerry. You know, I remember a pivotal moment in American history and I sat and I watched this drama unfold in Florida concerning Terry Schiavo, who was this woman, she had gone on an extreme diet to lose weight and had lost consciousness. And the next thing you know, a few years later, they're literally euthanizing her in a nursing home. I was horrified when I watched that happen and it set me into a journey to discover and answer some questions that are very important, especially in the field of the political world. Should Christians, for example, simply submit to the possible consequences of decisions or should they make decisions exclusively based upon the Word of God? Now that sounds simple to ask that question and people flippantly answer it but you'll find that the answer is very clear in the Bible, and it's also very troubling to modern Christians. Very few Christians truly live out the correct answer to that question. Well, I've put together a cartoon series. It's a whiteboard project where I teach you through some steps of logic and then had an artist in the church draw out the illustrations of what I'm trying to convey. It's really a remarkable thing and it's free. All you have to do is go to the website to enjoy it and I'll take you down the road of the journey I went on long ago answering that important question. Should Christians make decisions in life based exclusively on what God's Word says or should they bow down to the threat of consequences 
because you realize sometimes when you make right decisions, there are very painful consequences. And here's where you need to go. I'll give you the website twice. Steps to Political Epiphany.com. That's Steps to Political Epiphany.com. Please enjoy the presentation. It could really change your life. Thank you for listening and God bless. Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Now let me tell you something. Grace goes to who? There's only one kind of human being that gets grace. Do you realize what that means? If you cut yourself off from the grace of God, because you don't properly understand that it flows through the church exclusively, that your supply literally shall the eye say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Paul gives you these analogies. You have no right to develop this imaginary relationship just between you and Jesus where you go off and you have your own little super saint prayer time and you don't go to church because you're literally saying to the hand, I have no need of thee. If you don't get blood to a limb, what happens? It dies. It goes gangrene. It is cut off and surgically removed. The weird thing about this cavalier, disrespectful attitude about the vitality and the life power through the grace of Jesus Christ that only comes from going to church on this level. The weird thing about it is no one is really coming in many cases and surgically removing the gangrene out of the body of Christ. We're literally cutting ourselves off. It's masochism, spiritual masochism. We're, we're cutting off ourselves from the very grace of God. That is the equivalent of sawing off your hand where no bl- it's no good to you if it's cut off, is it? Or getting in a crash or having something happen in your life that, that is traumatic and you decide to give in to the sickness, to give in to the trauma, and you, you leave the church. It's like somebody getting in a car crash and having their arm severed. This is not good because the grace that keeps you alive, the very blood of Jesus Christ, what it literally means is that that we're saved. You know, the Bible says a couple of things. One, you're saved by grace. Doesn't it say that? Another place it says you are saved by the blood of the lamb. Do you know that that's not a contradiction? Because the grace is the blood of Jesus working in your life. He is keeping you alive by the circulation of a supernatural thing. It's not literal blood in, in the sense of a liquid, but it is, a, it is the spiritual power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ supernaturally flowing through your physical body, keeping you spiritually sustained in Christ. So, we really can't overemphasize the beauty and the need for church attendance. I have physically been in a place where I went without a few heartbeats 
Spiritually, many people have become so used to their spiritual arrhythmia because they are too often, too frequently not in church where they belong that they've become very used to it and they don't even notice they are sick. One of the things Dr. Cheersma said to me that I found fascinating, he said, you know, he gave me some percentage, a, a large alarming percentage of Americans have some kind of arrhythmia. He said, most people actually have the same thing happen to them that you're suddenly noticing because it's been brought on by stress. He said, actually, a large portion of the people, young and old, have this happen to them every day and they just don't notice it because they're used to it. He said, in some cases, people are born with a certain arrhythmia where their heart's just not really perfect. There's something not quite right. The electricity's not working perfect and it does, the drum beat doesn't stay right. It just kind of stops and restarts and it hiccups. But if you were born that way, he said, it's all you've ever known. It's just how your heart beats and you don't realize that it's not right. Do you see the parallel there? There are people that by virtue of the fact that they don't know Jesus Christ, they've not been born again, no one's ever taught them the truths of the subject of grace out of the Bible in a way that they could understand it. So they're not accustomed to being in church, never thought it was important to be in church, and they're so used to not being right spiritually that they don't think anything's wrong. But God knows and you know they're sick. You need the grace of Jesus Christ just like your body needs your blood flowing right inside. The hand shall not say to the foot or to the arm or to the eye, I have no need of thee. We are the body of Christ. Somebody say amen. You're understanding what I'm saying. Let's go to John chapter one, and we'll come back to Hebrews four in just a minute. John chapter one. So what we're saying is it is a good thing when there is agreement and you're not defrauding the body of Christ there needs to be some sensitivity. Let, let's just be candid. When a husband says, I feel that God has called me to fast, and that means, babe, I'm not kissing you. We're not, we're not going to have any intimacy for five days, okay? The Bible commands that you have to show sensitivity to what she wants. And, and if she's, you know, been uh, working up in her mind this glorious date on Friday and she got her work done and she cleaned the house, got the, and all the dishes and she's so excited because she's going on this date and then all of a sudden you spring this on her and you crush her dream of a romantic evening. That's not right. You can't do that. That's not fair. You're defrauding her. You're, you're screwing up all of her wonderful plans. Or maybe you didn't know it, but she was going to surprise you. And she, wore, she got reservations, and she, she's not wanting you to know about it. And she has this wonderful plan for this wonderful romantic evening. And then you announce that you're going to fast without any consideration of her feelings. That's wrong. You can't do that. And so a good parallel, to let, let's talk about this. Behold, I speak of a mystery, I speak of Christ and the church. This is what the Bible says concerning a marriage relationship as it parallels to your relationship to the rest of the body of Christ. I would say to you, without any apology, that we have one really important event every year that's unique from all other events because we are bringing in our church family from all over the country, in some cases other countries, and they're spending a lot of money, and it is, it is a great sacrifice for them to be here with us, and that's homecoming. And I would suggest that it is inappropriate for you to plan your personal vacation 
right at the most significant moment annually that we come together as the body because you're really defrauding and you're not being sensitive. Pastor Larry says, absolutely. And so I'm going to put that out there that you're, you're being insensitive to what the church is doing. So I, you got this whole year with 365 days. Why would you pick to go on vacation right when we're having the most significant, beautiful coming together where, by the way, there are graces made available during those meetings because of who is sitting down in the room that you can only get once a year. Those people that are coming here are precious, and we don't get to see them very often. I used to get very annoyed with Katie because when she was still in high school, it was like I had to go through all this rigmarole so I could go to the Von Ozens' home and be there, and I wanted to be with them. I, I, I would come, and I want to you know, get to know Katie better because I was going to marry her sister. And she'd plan all of her, her and Sarah both. Bye. She'd go spend the night with somebody. I wouldn't even see them. They weren't ever around. I'm like, Why did I come here? I came here to get to know this family, and they all leave when I show up. Now, later I found out it's because they didn't like me. They were doing it on purpose. <laughs> but there's some truth to this. You really, your church family's coming in from around the country. Why, how insensitive of you, if I may be so frank. How dull and how unkind and rude of you to take no concerns. Well, I don't know those people. Well, why do you have to know them? Why don't you? Did someone tell you you're not allowed to introduce yourself in August? Every year for the last 20 years, you decided to never introduce yourself to these people that are part of the body of Christ? What's wrong with you? You didn't think that they had something beautiful, that maybe they were a, a wonderful person and you would be bettered by having met them? So it still comes right back to you. You're defrauding, see? You, you're not thinking right. You're not honoring other people. Well, I don't know those people. Well, why don't you? What's wrong with you? Why don't you go be hospitable? I don't like it. I'm just going to pound on this a minute. I know what it's like to go to a church. Listen to me. I went to a church for two years. Listen, after two years of faithfully attending a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I knew about three people. I felt so strange every Sunday. No one would talk to me. Now, it might be because I was like the only white guy in the church. <laughs> it was a black church. I loved it. I loved the music. You know, they, they invited me to play the trumpet with them in their praise team. I didn't end up actually doing it, but I, I went to rehearsals. And they wouldn't even talk to me at rehearsal. I know what it's like to attend a church for a couple of years and feel like nobody even wants to know me. The very idea that anyone would come into this room and sit down in this church and leave feeling like I did grieves me. It just grieves me. I don't want people to act like that. But I'm going to tell you something. You have the same sin nature those people had. And there's a bunch of you. You're not friendly enough. It's all right for me to say that. I'm a pastor. I get to. Now, I know. I'm going to just say this right now. Some of you are visiting this morning. You're terrified that after this sermon, <laughs> you're, going to have, you're going to get mauled by like 50 people. Quick, run for the car. They're all coming. Ah! But seriously, people, come on. And so this whole thing about my personal salvation and my personal prayer life, I got to tell you, we've gone way too far with that stuff. And that culture of personal salvation, that's the culture that doesn't even shake hands with the guest on Sunday, that culture. I don't like it. It's selfishness. And that's what's wrong with the body of Christ. You're getting all this grace. You're getting a pipeline I'm a real preacher sent 
Ephesians chapter four, for the purpose of preaching the gospel and allowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, not mine, I'm just a pipe, allowing his grace to come out of my mouth and into the ears of anyone humble enough to receive it. And if you do it, you get grace. I have it and I give it. That's my job. And I've been faithful to do my job. But if all you do is capture all this grace and all this knowledge and all this understanding of the Bible and bottle it all up in your little personal salvation with your personal prayer life, then you're, you're hogging it. You're hogging it. Stop being a hog of grace. Somebody say amen. Amen. 